0: Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 420 Cross-Cultural Psychology with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 4, where we're going to discuss culture and cognition and culture and emotion. Let's look first at culture and cognition and culture as cognition. And cognition really is all the mental processes used in taking in sensory information, things that we get from our eyes, our ears, our all our five senses, and putting that into knowledge. We what gets our attention? You know, when we um, what if we go into a room and everyone's wearing white and someone's got a red shirt on, that would get our attention. So what kinds of stimulus get our attention? And then how do we perceive that? What does that mean to us? We, um, you know, what does our higher level thinking do with that? And so how do we think about the world? How do we categorize objects? How do we remember things in the same ways across cultures? So psychologists view culture as cognition. So what do we mean by that? It's the norms, the opinions, the beliefs, the values, the worldviews that are cognitive products that are defined by the culture. Meaning that if you were born in a different part of the world, your cognition would be different than, in, than it is from the place you were born in. There's different influences upon you. You would just think differently. So culture is viewed as a knowledge system that was created to solve complex problems in living and social life. Remember that cultures have gone on for hundreds, thousands of years, and they've and the people, our ancestors in that culture would have to figure out how do we deal with this with feeding ourselves? How do we deal with um, the different roles and aspects of males and females? How do we live in this climate? And so, all that has a place in uh, forming the culture, and so. We as humans, we do have certain abilities that animals do not have, so we can create cultures. When we talk about attention, there's two views on this. One is holistic perception versus analytic perception. Holistic perception is attending to the relationship between the object and the context that it was looking at. It's looking at the big picture. And an analytic perception is really uh, context uh, independent. You're focusing whatever that object is, and you're not uh, considering or not uh, analyzing the environment that it is. Actually, in our uh, more industrialized society, we live in what is referred to as a carpeted world. You look around your home, things are at right angles. Um, we used our most of our rooms are shaped as rectangles and uh, so we expect things to unconsciously to be have squared corners. Parts of the world where they do not live in these buildings don't view it that way. If you look at a tree, a tree doesn't normally have a right angle in it. It has a variety of angles but but often not uh, right angles that we have in a more carpented, industrialized society. Front horizon foreshadowing, or foreshortening, excuse me, is how do we interpret vertical lines as horizontal lines? Now, by that, um, as people who are more in uh, industrialized society, we're used to seeing three-dimensional objects represented in two-dimensional space on a page. So it's... um, when you're growing up and you've been read to as a child, you're starting to think of ways that uh, understand that what is actually a three-dimensional object is symbolized in two dimensions. So for example, with this picture right here, this is a famous research that if you ask people in an industrialized society, who is the man pointing the spear at, the um, People in industrialized society will point to the gazelle, and they'll say it's actually there because we understand that uh, things being closer to us are drawn larger due to perspective. If you ask in um, in a more tribal society, they will refer to the man as pointing to the elephant because the idea of representing three-dimensional space uh, in two dimensions is foreign to them and so this is just one an example of how even just the medium of reading and printing and things can have an effect of how we see the world. How do we categorize things? Uh, how do we put things together based off of similarities and attach labels? When we have, you know, a, a bunch of information, we tend to put it in different categories and so, Some categorizations are universal throughout the world. They're able to put, um, they found that they put certain colors together, facial expressions, shapes together, but also some are unique to that culture. And they've studied this by giving members of different cultures different objects and ask them to sort it and how do they go about that. Every culture has the ability to do math and it's a um represented um but it depends on how the the um it's taught across different cultures Uh, we tend to learn math in school using symbols and manipulatives objects that we can count and things and so uh but i've been in india a number of times and i've worked and i've uh, bought things from children off the street who've never had a math class in their life, but was able to do the, um, provide change with just mentally without actually knowing how to write the numbers down. So every society can learn a math skill. It's just, we go about it different ways. Problem solving is a component of all cultures and how do they, um, How do we achieve goals that that don't seem obtainable? Um, So researchers have asked people from different cultures to solve unfamiliar problems in artificial um, settings. And people drew conclusions easily when they're presented with familiar settings. If there's something that they're used to, they're able to come up with a, a solution to the problem rather than much easier than if it's with an unfamiliar setting. A syllogism is something you may have learned in a logic class. And that's usually you have two uh, prepositions and then you have a, um, a conclusion. For example, you may say that um, hitting a glass um, with a, a feather can hit a, can break a glass if you hit it with it. That's the first. And then you say that Johnny the glass with the feather and then the conclusion is what happened to the glass well in uh, societies that have more abstract thinking and uh, the idea that the glass would break would be comparable for that based off the you know logical uh, conclusion based off of the premises that you gave but for some societies the idea of a feather breaking glass is just uh, ridiculous. And so they're unable to understand how that would work. So syllogisms don't always work for every society. But every society has a form of creativity. We see this in their art and uh, different things that they are provided. You know, we can find in uh, uh, through in museums and, and different aspects. And that creative individuals... Um, Usually work hard and you know willing to take risks, try something new. Cultures have a different aspect of time. There's um, and that can be a difficult thing when you're trying to interact with a new culture. Uh, a long versus short orientation of a cultural dimension that differentiates cultures. So, for example, if people who have long-term Cultures delay gratification. They're willing to wait on um, their uh, material, social, emotional needs for a long-term goal. Some cultures are short-term cultures where they think and act in the present. And really, the the future is not as, uh, as an important. There's um, uh, different ideas about um, influences of how we deal with pain. Of course, every culture deals with pain, but how do they tolerate it? How they um, are able to express it? Uh, I've been on um, a mission trip to Peru where we did some medical work, and I um, we knew this one man had an abscess tooth, and we were trying to remove it, and he was obviously in great pain, but he would not say a word because in that culture, it was not um, appropriate for him to express his pain. The um, how do we understand intelligence? When we talk about intelligence, we really are talking about a collection of a lot of intellectual abilities, and mostly on verbal and an analytic task. The thing to remember about intelligence is really it's closely related to education, things that we value for school, and. Um, and so, a lot of intelligence tests actually rely on verbal performance and cultural knowledge. So, if you were to give someone who is a recent immigrant to our country a, or any country an intelligence test in that country, they probably would not do very well because they're unfamiliar with the, the language and the objects of that culture. Um, a lot of cultures don't even have a word for intelligence. And so therefore, it's difficult in comparing cultures or uh, with regards to intelligence um, and because so many intelligence tests are culturally dependent uh, that you have to know something about that culture to d- do well. Chapter 9, we're looking at emotions and really about the um, how emotions have evolved. And so The definition for emotions and the psychological idea is the transient, I mean, it comes and goes, neurophysiological reaction to events that have consequences on one welfare. So it requires an immediate response that we are engaging with something and what is our reaction to that? Uh, It can be our feelings, we have physiological changes, our heart rate can increase, you know, we can get, Uh, perspire more. And it acts as a rapid information system. It gives us information without really having to think about it very strongly. And people from all around the world deal with this. Um, Here's a diagram about how we elicit emotions. So we have a trigger event, and then we look at that. And if it fits into our Scheme or idea or perception of what should happen, we evaluate it, and then we go on and we either we have an emotion, or we um, uh, and then have a behavior. However, if we look at a possible trigger and um, you know stimulus of some sort, and it doesn't match to anything that we've ever seen or heard or dealt with before we're going to have an emotion regarding that. We're not going to think about it. We're actually going to go straight to our emotions. And how do we respond to that? So what are the basic emotions? Uh, Darwin actually studied facial expressions of emotions and uh, as in in his work, and found that there's some universality in emotions throughout the world. So for the example, on the picture at the bottom, you see this man um, demonstrating enjoyment and then sadness. And those ways that he's he's uh, expressing himself are universal. We would understand that even if we couldn't speak the language that he was happy or sad based off his facial um, uh, expressions. So, and they found that even in tribes and parts of the world that do not have uh, a written language, that the expressions of anger, disgust, are universal. They're, um, regardless if you're in uh, somewhere in the Amazon rainforest versus um, a city in the United States, that we see that this commonality of of, uh, gestures. This is interesting as well, that um, they compared the reaction of Olympic athletes or athletes who just lost a match. And the girl on the left is a blind athlete. And you can see her reaction, of sadness from that. The girl on the right is a sighted athlete. And you can see that she has a similar uh, reaction to just losing the match. That even though the blind athlete has not seen the, the gesture, we knew that innately that this was how she expressed her sadness, through her facial expression. And that uh, they found um, seven basic emotions in the universal expression. So throughout the, the world, if you go to a part of the world and uh, you see these emotions or expressions, you understand the emotions connected with them. We understand that happiness is really an idea of goal attainment. Anger is goal obstruction. Sadness is loss of a loved one. Disgust is contamination. You feel like, oh, stay away from me. Fear is uh, a threat of some sort. Surprise is something that's new or novel. And contempt is a feeling of moral superiority. And how does our culture influence our emotions? So there's... um, an interaction between what is socially appropriate for expression in that culture and what an individual does. They they learn that expressing an emotion is either rewarded or punished within a different culture. And those that are rewarded, they're more likely to do. Those that are punished, they're they're less likely to do. This is an interesting uh, diagram here that shows the relationship between individualism, collectivism, and display rules about uh, being expressive. So the further to the right of the chart on the x-axis are more individualistic societies. And uh, so and then on the y-axis the higher you go up are more uh, endorsing being expressive. So you can see the United States is highest and individualism and expression. And so, but we see Canada and Australia are pretty close. So, what this means is that if you were to go to these other countries from the United States, you would find some similarities between these countries and our country. What you would have trouble with is if you went to Indonesia or Hong Kong and you started to interact within those societies that you would probably find some cultural clashes take place. So um, cultures understand how we perceive emotion in another, how we understand, how do we decode it when someone gives us some sort of expression of emotion, not just the facial expressions, but how do we understand that? Um, Individualistic societies like the United States um, really put a higher rate of uh, certain facial expressions um, than more collectivist society. So, um, our concept of emotion in the United States is really fostered by our uh, American culture. The, um, and we understand that some cultures are different in the ways that they view emotions. Your book will go in much more detail on this. But not even all cultures have a word for emotion. Um, so for example, we will talk about our emotions coming from our heart. You know, like I'm saying this from the heart or I have a broken heart. And so we tend to think of our heart in relationship to emotions. But the Japanese think of it as from their gut. Uh, Shawam tribe thinks of it from the liver. Tahitians think of it from their intestines. Uh, if I look, think of it more than intestines inside. So um, when we talk about emotions, we have different meanings for different people. So most of our emotions um, that are con- culturally constructed um, are really beyond those seven basic emotions. Those seven basic emotions we talked about are universal throughout the world, but then as different cultures put different meanings on those those emotions that come after that. Well, that concludes our unit, and uh, I'll see you in our next one.